0: blessed lend to you as we begin our pilgrimage together to Calvary, to so Golgotha, and ultimately to the garden tomb. Ash Wednesday is a strange time in the calendar. It's in the middle of the week, it's not a Sunday. And so we have 46 days till, good for, till, till Easter. It's 40 that you're supposed to fast, six that are optional. The Sundays are feast days. There's a lot of little traditions that go into all of this, but more importantly, what this season is designed for in the calendar is for us to walk through the wilderness, to take stock of our lives, to recognize our need for repentance, our need for God's mercy, and God's great love poured out towards us. It's to encounter Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been with someone who was both, someone you looked up to, made you realize how much you needed to grow. Maybe they were much more mature than you. They were someone that made you feel alive around them, welcomed. In essence, you you noticed there was a goodness about them and it attracted you. It made you want more of them, want to be more often holiness or sanctification is something where we assume we should be shamed with a separation. But in Lent we are drawn to Jesus, who in his perfectness and his sinless does not create a great chasm between us. But his goodness welcomes us in. That's what this season is to be. Not a season where we learn to hate ourselves. There's plenty of that in our regular lives. But a season in which we learn that despite our sinfulness, despite our brokenness, God's kindness and goodness triumphs over all. A few years ago, probably nine years ago, I was in Shanghai and I was starting to have vision trouble. And I was a bit concerned as my vision was getting blurry. And so I went to the doctor and they did a whole eye check. Turned out everything was normal. Um, except that my eyes were unusually dry. This is probably from riding a scooter in Shanghai around in the pollution. Uh, and my eyes were unusually dry and they said, well, there's, your tears aren't breaking correctly. There isn't enough uh, oil on your eyelids. And I thought to myself in that moment, well, I guess I don't cry enough. And as I thought about that today, I was reminded of a quote by Oscar Romero, the Archbishop of El Salvador, who was martyred in the 1980s, who said that there are only some things that can be seen through the eyes that have cried. And as I didn't obviously cry enough in that moment, my vision of reality had become blurry. And I believe there's a deeper truth that Lent and Ash Wednesday offers us to learn to weep, to cry, so that we might see our world,
1: each other, and most importantly, our savior. We can only see clearly if we've cried enough. Lent offers us this chance
0: of self-examination. It's a season filled with things that we associate with piety, fasting, prayer, almsgiving, the things that we associate with the religious orders, what you expect me to do, I assume, um, or monks and nuns and those folks. But these are important qualities of every Christian life. But it's easy to associate those kind of moments of introspection, moments of sanctification, of spiritual disciplines, with people that are far removed from everyday life, a little extra holy, a bit unusual. And our scriptures say, do exactly... uh, Encourage us to avoid exactly that. They encourage us to piety and faithfulness and practices that are not meant for public or just on the outside veneer of things that make us separate or further from other people. You know, it's it's a bit ironic that we read a passage about fasting and not to tell anybody and then we tell everyone to fast together and we do all these public things, right? Have you ever wondered why that seems counterintuitive. But Jesus is not angry, and the Bible has, says nothing really against public piety. There are multiple fasts. We, talked about, uh, we read from Isaiah where this Old Testament encourages these corporate fasts, these moments of, of record, uh, where the entire nation would gather and seek the Lord together. Jesus was not against public displays of holiness or affection. The problem is when it is for the public. The problem is not outward piety, but when it is performed, when it is a performance for the public. And so quite to the opposite, all that we do during Lent is not as a performance, it's not to separate ourselves to be holier than now, it is to create a sense in our lives where we emit the goodness of God. Christ, who is perfect holiness, was someone who the most wicked, vile, sinner felt loved and welcomed in their presence. They may have fell to their knees asking for mercy, but they felt they came to Christ. They went and sought him. And so too, our scriptures encourages us not to outward displays of piety that are to separate us from everyone, but to become closer, to bridge those gaps to draw us into the heart of God, into God's pathos, to God's life, so that we too can expose injustice and hypocrisy that have marred so many religious celebrations, as the scriptures are speaking to. And Isaiah, the fasts and the ceremonies they're doing matter little because deep down they use them as a cover for all of the evil they do to their neighbor. And for Jesus, the outward signs of fasting and prayer are, not, uh, are to, were to embolden the religious leaders so that they would be, know that we're the holy ones, we're the righteous ones. Instead, we are called to know ourselves and draw close, in to look inwardly, not so that it might be for others, but for our own growth and for the Lord to change and transform us. So I want to invite you not to a Lent that's for others, in a sense, uh, as a performance, but a Lent in which I invite you to cry on behalf of others. Now, I wanna invite you to three types of weeping today. Now, this may be physical
1: weeping if the Lord moves you, but it's also a posture of the heart. Not every tear is shared from the eye. First, to learn to weep for ourselves. As we turn
0: inward, it is not to grant for self aggrandizement. It is to draw close to God and therefore look at ourselves and in the disparity between ourselves and God, recognize his mercy and love for us. Augustine said to grant, he he prayed this prayer Grant, Lord, that I may know myself and thus that I may know thee. In other words, how can you draw close to God if you cannot? know yourself. John Calvin would reiterate this. Meister Eckhart, Teresa Avila would all reiterate this truth that to know oneself is to know God. Not that you are God, but that if you really know yourself, which is a gift that God grants us, you will realize the depth of God's mercy and love. Because along with that, Augustine would explain that we are Homo incravatus people who are naturally drawn inward and selfish, that our first instinct isn't usually good. And so we learn to weep for ourselves in that. And maybe the most easy way to describe this is there's a disparity between who we are and God. For example, I grew up eating Italian-American food my whole life. Chicken parmesan, baked ziti, all those things, meatball, spaghetti. When I went to Italy, I was very surprised that this was not what they eat. <laughs> there was great disparity between my mother's excellent cooking and what is actually consumed in the peninsula. And vice versa with China. As I experienced Chinese food, it was very different in Shanghai. Much better. There was a great disparity between the imitation, which I was grateful for, but much richer, much deeper, more complex, more nuanced, in every way better. And when we look at ourselves and we see ourselves in relationship to the Lord, there's great disparity. Peter recognized this as soon as he got in the boat with Jesus and he fell before him after uh, after he caught all these fish he didn't expect. And he says, what does he say? I'm a man, be away from me, I'm a sinner paraphrase. Again, the goodness of God reveals our wickedness. And so we learn to weep for ourselves. We learn to weep for Jesus because it is our sin that has brought him to the crucifix, to the cross. We learn to weep for the great,
1: the great pain to which we are responsible for as humanity. We join the women who lament as Jesus walked the Via Dolorosa. And so we
0: learn to weep for ourselves and in that process we look to the one who is fully us who revealed ourselves to us more fully than we could see ourselves. And we are brought to our end. We are also taught to weep not only for us, but for our world.
1: Jesus weeped three times. He weeped in Gethsemane, and he also wept over Jerusalem
0: as he saw what would come, the destruction of his home, his city.
1: And today, I encourage you to know that we are called to weep for our world, for the conflicts in Gaza and Israel, for Ukraine and Russia, for this city, for what happens here in the streets, for our families, for every corner. Partly because we are complicit. We
0: will pray a bunch of confessions later, and we will take ownership of things that you may not be personally responsible for in any way that you could fathom. I, I hope that none of you are going to repent tonight of murder. It's possible, but I hope not or some of the most vilest crimes for for slavery or the kind of injustice that we think of, the worst of the worst. But the the effects of greed, of our lust, of our violence, of our culture that we are all part of, those things contribute to the larger conditions of our reality. And so today, like Christ, we don't just confess what we ourselves did and as a list of sins over the last few years, which, if you have one of those, I'd I'd like to talk to you later. But we confess, like Jesus, on behalf of the world, on behalf of all those in our community who aren't even here today, for all those who've come through these doors and are elsewhere, we together stand as intercessors for them taking responsibility for the sins of the world that we participate in, even when we cannot fathom how they, uh, our lives have touched into those things, for the condition of our planet, for the condition of our hearts, for the condition of our cities. And so we learn to weep as Jesus wept,
1: even when we can't prevent every destruction and disaster. we also learn to weep for one another. Just as Jesus wept for Lazarus. Father Pedro Rupe was
0: a Catholic priest who was at the site of the dropping of the atom bomb at Nagasaki. He survived the initial blast and began helping everyone he could. He witnessed suffering and humanity's best and worst in hours and minutes of each other. He said that only by becoming a man or woman for others does a person become fully human. Only by becoming a man or woman for others does a person become fully human. Who we are is never an isolated person or individual. We become who we are in communities. We become more of who we're meant to be in relationships. In fact, who we are to become is revealed to us as Pilate mockingly looks at Jesus and says, Behold the man, in in the language, echo home, behold humanity, behold Adam. At Christ's most beaten and broken, humanity is revealed, its worst and its best, and we are called to become human. And that's interesting. We're not really, we're born as people, but we're called to be, become human. And so today I encourage you that Lent would be a season where the practices of fasting and prayer and Bible studies and Lenten book studies and all these things would not be to make you more spiritual or to create any space between you and one another, as if you're the ones doing it right and the others who aren't here aren't but to instead enjoin you to have your heart rent and to learn to cry so that reality might be ever the clearer to you. Weeping is an expression of mercy because in the presence of the Lord, the goodness of God draws us to recognize our disparity and our need to weep for our world and for one another. Today is also St. Valentine's Day. It's a little bit of a contrast, huh? But if you remember, Valentine was beheaded and martyred for secretly marrying Christians and for refusing to, be, uh, to bow to the emperor. And there's a lot of legend around Valentine and whether any of that's true. But there's another story where Valentine, after being imprisoned the night before his uh, death, his martyrdom, he healed the blindness of the jailer's daughter, the one who imprisoned him and leaves a note the next day that says your valentine that's where some of the tradition comes from could be a little probably a bit exaggerated but like my own eyesight in shanghai i think there's a deeper truth and wisdom to be found today only the sort of love that marriage offers where one person recognizes that their life is in another Only the kind of love that leads someone to the fidelity and faithfulness of martyrdom to be a witness, only that love can bring sight to the blind. And only the tears of someone whose love
1: has richly been opened can see, can truly see someone. It will be only the eyes that have cried will be able to open the eyes of the blind. I say all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you join me in just a moment of reflective prayer, and then we're going to continue in song together. And just allow the Spirit to move and If there's something on your heart, to go before the Lord now, to listen.